if your why isn't, I want to make this time in a marathon or I want to run this mile at this pace, then take the seriousness away because it's not going to be enjoyable. everybody, Emily Abadi here coming in with another installment of this week's special series called Running Through. With Global Running Day just yesterday, it is only fitting that we are wrapping up season nine and celebrate all week with these five back-to-back episodes in the feed. You know the deal. Here on the show, I am dedicated to bringing hurdlers content that encompasses all aspects of wellness still. Running holds a very, very special place in my heart. And while I originally leaned into running as a weight loss tool back in college, it has turned into a serious passion of mine, helping me get through some of my biggest hurdle moments and connect on a deeper level with so many. This week, I am talking with some inspiring women, a few of which you have heard from already, all of whom have also turned to running during some of life's biggest, darkest hurdles. We get vulnerable talking about tough topics like loss and grief, depression and postpartum depression, and how running in sport has helped them persevere, rediscover their self-worth, and put on a brave face. Today, I am chatting with Aaron Azar. I'm amped about this. Both Aaron and myself joined with my friends at Ultra for a global running day campaign. You may recognize her by her social media name. It is I'm Mrs. Space Cadet. Aaron took off on a rocket, it felt like, during the pandemic making a splash on social media, both over on Instagram and TikTok. In her words, she is an expert struggle runner and struggle lifer who is making running more approachable for beginners. I absolutely loved having the opportunity to chat with Erin, who opened up about the difficulties that she had after having her children and how it felt for her to not just get back to her normal life, but start to move her body again. She also talks about some of the depression she felt after that time in her life and how she was able to lean into certain relationships to help navigate her struggles. Before we dive in, I have to give a huge, huge thanks to my sponsor for this week of content, and that sponsor is Tracksmith. Tracksmith, as you may know, is a brand for runners inspired by a deep love for the sport. They craft incredible gear for training, racing, and rest days, and create experiences that make running more rewarding, more connected, and more meaningful. Their summer collection features pieces designed for running in the heat, as well as staples for your vacation adventures. From their silky smooth twilight styles that seem to disappear while you're running, to comfortable short tights that can carry all of your long run fuel. These are staples that will work as hard as you do. Explore their collections and stories at tracksmith.com and use the code HURDLE22 for free shipping. Now, this is really special to me. Tracksmith is working with me to support an organization that I feel passionately about, especially after the awful massacre last week in Ovalde, Texas at Rob Elementary. And that organization is every town. For every order that is purchased on tracksmith.com using the code HURDLE22, Tracksmith will donate 
5% of all sales to Everytown. Now, for those of you who don't know, Everytown is an organization that advocates for gun control and against gun violence. I'm so grateful to Tracksmith for partnering with me on this. It is my birthday today, if you're listening to this on June 2nd. So a great birthday present, you can give this to me, is to buy yourself some new gear and then do some good in the process. Of course, again, that code at tracksmith.com is hurdle22 at checkout. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on the socials. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Erin Azar. She's known to her many, many followers as Mrs. Space Cadet. How are you doing today? I am doing great. How about you? I'm so good. I'm so happy that we were able to connect via the powers that be on the Twitter. It's amazing. I I just recently got back on Twitter like a few months ago. I've had my Twitter forever, but I found it really like scary. People on there can be a little scary, but I think I found the right people. That's the key. (laughs) You have to find the right people to follow and unfollow the scary people. (laughs) You, of all people, knowing a thing or two about that, not only because you are now getting more active in Twitter, but you also have a pretty great following over on both Instagram and TikTok, which happened during the pandemic. How has it been for you to give so many more individuals around the world more access to your life? I it's really bizarre to me how that happened because you know, when I started posting on there, it was when I first started running and I was really struggling and I and everyone I would look at that ran, of course I'm going to social media because I don't know where else to look. I live in the middle of nowhere. So I'm looking at social media and I'm like, okay, well, where are the people like me, you know? And I think that's why, like, I did reach the point of desperation to post to TikTok, like post my runs on there. But at the time, Instagram wasn't, didn't have videos. And I mean, like reels and um, TikTok was like a dancing app for teenagers or something. That's what I thought it was. And so I was ready to get like brutally ripped apart by 10 year old boys. And so I was really shocked that when I, you know, posted those videos, there were so many people that were like, finally, you know, someone's saying these things and talking about thigh chafing (laughs) and like all these random things. Um, I just didn't think that it would really blow up to what it did and what it's still doing. Um, that's like what really surprises me. Um, but I love every second of it. It's amazing (laughs) for context. Tell the people quote unquote, where is the middle of nowhere? Yeah. So that is in like Southeastern Pennsylvania. Um, it's basically like a little farm community, I guess. I don't know. I always kind of felt like we didn't really belong here because it's, it's very much like generational, these families. And my parents moved there you know, like maybe 40 years ago. So we're technically like newcomers. I don't know. So I always felt a little odd there, but I mean, I love it now. 
it's beautiful. Um, but it is a little isolating if you're trying to do something like learn how to run, <laughs> you know, <But> probably <laughs> also a really great place to raise a family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because the thing is, it's like they can have space and it's safe to like walk down to, you know, someone's house. We call them neighbors, but they're like a mile away. <laughs> um, and, but yet you're close to like Philadelphia and New York city. Um, like a day trip is easy, you know, to those locations. So it's kind of cool. Like the kids can have that country lifestyle and then have all the fun of the cities. And when you say kids, you are a mother of three. Yes. Yes. Um, they are seven, five and newly three. So <laughs> we're like out of that toddler phase, kind of. We are here today to talk to one another as part of this running through series this week on Hurdle. And you and I had a really great conversation about not only the hurdles that you faced getting into running, but what brought you to running in the first place. Now, you just mentioned you have three beautiful children, but mm -hmm. talk to us about where you were in your life after having your third. Yeah. So after I had my third baby, I, I was feeling honestly similar to after I had the first two, which was um, really just like isolate feeling of isolation, even though I was surrounded by like friends and family, um, really exhausted, which is obvious, just really depressed, which is when you have a baby, I think. And, and this is becoming like more talked about now, but like when you have a baby, it's like uh, assume that you would be the best, the, the happiest you've ever been. And how could you be sad and all this? But you're going through your day not quite feeling sad, but all of a sudden you're crying. Like it's really weird um, in a, a really weird mental space to be in. And I never realized that I'm in it until I'm out of it, which mm. is kind of weird. And which I think is why I probably didn't get enough like uh, clinical, like medical support uh, from it because, you know, like the midwives or people, they're calling to check on you. But when they're calling, I'm fine. So <laughs> you know what I mean? And I didn't hear a lot of people actually talking about that when I was going through it. Um, but now I make sure like if I talk to a new mom and she seems a little like struggling in some way or maybe trying to hide that she's struggling, I do mention what I went through and how confusing that was just in case to, you know, kind of open up that dialogue a bit. So that was rough because you're like, why do I feel like this? You can't control it. And it comes and goes in like big waves. And would you say that otherwise you are a pretty happy person? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I, I struggle in winter just from like the seasonal depression type things. Like once fall hits, everyone's like, oh, it's so beautiful. And I'm like, ready to cry because I'm like, no, oh. summer's over and winter, like the days are so short, but I find ways to get through it. It's not like um, I can't control it. Yeah. So that's, I feel like a, a bit different there. So I would imagine that when you get these outbursts of sadness and uh, tears are coming from seemingly nowhere on top of being overtired as mm -hmm. most moms of infants mm -hmm. certainly are, 
it's Mm -hmm. confusing and a little isolating. And it's as though in this point, and to your point about feeling as though you're supposed to be super happy, you're supposed to feel like you can handle all of this. Mm -hmm. It just gets to be a lot. Yeah, it really does. And also the um, guilt of um, some time being taken away from the other kids. So if it's not your first, you feel like that guilt because you're kind of having to say like, okay, later, we can do that later. I have to feed the baby or, you know, something like that. So add that on to the pile of emotions that you're feeling. It's like, yeah, it's a little exhausting. How at the time did you begin to navigate that guilt? And did you have any conversations about how you were feeling with friends or family members? Yeah, I think I really mostly opened up to my husband. I think because obviously he was like physically near. And so when I was feeling like one of those waves or one of those days, he was right there. So I'm just like, hey, I'm not doing well, but I don't really know why. But, you know, and it it always seemed like just saying that really helped. And I would kind of like and then we would do something different, like we'd change up something and he'd be like, hey, I'll take you know, the kids and you can sleep or because sometimes that's you you need to sleep in the middle of the day or something and you can wake up and switch off, switch that off. But I do think a lot of that, some to maybe friends that had babies. And I think for me, it was just really like the talking it out and also just knowing like, I know this is going to go away because I went through it the other two times. Mm, And I think that point that you made about simply talking about how you feel can Mm -hmm. make a really big difference. Now, of course, it's really beautiful that you had your husband to chat with. But of Mm -hmm. course, if you feel as though you're going through something, you're unsure, maybe you're wondering if you're experiencing depression, then there are so many communities, experts, individuals that you can reach out to and start there. Start by Mm -hmm. stating where you're at. Because if you don't admit what's going on, if you don't Mm -hmm. confront how you feel, then you can't do anything about it. You can't change it. Right. And sometimes just saying that to someone won't make you feel better. And I I think if that didn't help, I would have been like, you know what, I'm calling, I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm calling a doctor or I'm, you know, a support group or something. But I think the fact that when I would get that off my chest and say like, oh, I'm going through this point here and the kind of weight that was lifted off, I felt a little lighter. I felt like I could think better. Mm -hmm. Um, That was thankfully something that helped. But, you know, like you said, if that doesn't, there's so many resources to get through it. Definitely. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So as you start to speak a little bit about how you're feeling, you're trying to navigate what life is now with three children, this journey then leads you toward the point where you ask yourself, maybe I should try moving my body? Question mark. (laughs) Right. (laughs) About that journey for you. Yeah. The thing is too. um, So my third baby was my first C-section. So that was wild. Um, the recovery from that, I was really hesitant. I feel like with my first two, I knew I could move. Like I wasn't cut open, not to get too graphic, but I mean, that wasn't involved. So with this C-section, I was hesitant. I'm like, can I do a sit up? Like, is everything still attached in there? And, um, so I think I held off a little bit, but 
yeah, I just felt like this, I don't know if it was like desperation or something, but I'm like, I have to get fresh air and I have to move and sweat it somehow. Um, and I looked out the window and that day it happened to be like a really nice morning, not too hot, not too cold. It wasn't raining. I'm like, I'm just going to go. Um, and I always say like, I had these sneakers with holes in them that you could put your finger through the holes. Like they weren't just a little worn here and there. It's like, and I had no idea how bad that was to, to run in that, but I don't know. I've just, I didn't even have a regular sports bra. I had like a nursing bra on. <laughs> um, I was a mess, but yeah, that first, I said, I'm going to run to the stop sign and back that first barely mile, um, was just enough to be like, I feel something here and I, I need to keep doing it. And before you made the decision to go on this like maiden voyage run, <laughs> had your doctor given you any insight as to when would quote unquote be safe for you? And noting here that of course everyone is different. Every, everyone's body is different, but mm -hmm. any guidance as to when doing something like that would be okay from when you delivered to that point? Yeah. So at, you know, um, like the follow-up appointments where they just like check, everything it which does not seem very thorough to me um but I trusted it <laughs> um they're just like how you feeling oh what let's look at things here okay yeah you can get back to everything and I'm like are you sure are you sure because I feel a little like disconnected to my body <laughs> and and things but I I think they do know better because they know the benefits of um activity for your mental health and, you know, physical health are going to far outweigh any like, I don't know, um, muscle like injury. Not, I don't want to say injury, but um, you might feel a little different. It's right. better to just get the benefits of a little <laughs> aerobic activity, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I think oftentimes, you know, a parallel similar to that could be, generally speaking, a registered dietitian might not recommend having wine all the time, but there are mm -hmm. like endorphin, oh, endorphin boosting, I wish, uh, <laughs> serotonin boosting moments that you get from like sitting down with friends and having a glass or two. And that is good for your mental health and whatnot. So yeah. it's the same along the same lines. It's like, okay, getting fresh air, so good for your system, getting mm -hmm. those endorphins boosted, also yes. good for your system. So worth giving it a try. Yes, absolutely. And I was like, um, I never liked running though. That was that was another thing that made me realize, like, wow, I'm really desperate here because from the gym class mile in like elementary school to running being a punishment in team sports. Um, I was just like running sucks and I'm bad <laughs> at it and it hurts. Erin, <laughs> I don't know anyone who isn't scarred from their like middle school mile experience. Right. I totally agree. Like who enjoyed that? Who was okay with that? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not me. So yeah. you go out for this first inaugural mile and you enjoy it. I would say over overall, you were like, this is good mm -hmm. for me. Yes. And so what happens from there? From there, because I've been someone my whole life that quits everything, like I quit Girl Scouts, I quit sports, I quit band, I quit everything. I can't even think of something I haven't quit. Um, I thought that, okay, 
I can't stick with anything. So what would make me stick with this? And I think um, for some reason I was like, I'm going to do this every day for 30 days. And I guess I assumed it would just build that habit or something and I would stick with it longer. Um, I think the bigger thing there, though, was just finding how important it was to me in that moment, like how people say, find your why, which is like kind of cliche in a way. But that was definitely me just finding my why. I was like, if I don't do this, I'm going to be really miserable and I'm not going to be a good mom. And I don't want to say that. There's not really... (laughs) I know that's a I'm bold up, but, statement. Yeah, yeah. But um, I won't be as happy or as patient. And I wanted to enjoy the kids like, you know. And I think that that's such a beautiful takeaway mm-hmm. and definitely takes perspective to mm-hmm. get to that point because there's that conflict of emotions a little bit, especially with young children about being mm-hmm. away from your family for any period of time. So, Mm -hmm. so many women that I have spoken to for the show felt a sense of guilt by going out and maybe running or going to a workout class or doing Mm -hmm. whatever self-care it is that they wanted to do at the time because that meant that they were away from their family unit. But Mm -hmm. the reality was, to your point, that that little bit of time allowed them to pour a little bit of extra water into their cup so that they could look at that cup and say, this cup is half full instead of this cup is half empty. Yes, that's exactly right. And I think that, you know, even though I felt guilty every time the kids, it became part of their routine as well. And they weren't why, you know, it started with them being like whining and being upset and not understanding to now they're like, whoa, how many miles are you running? And And what are we going to do afterward? And it's not that way. I don't feel guilty anymore because we're all kind of in it together in a way. So what were some of the other hurdles that you experienced from the get-go when it came to going out every day? So were you going every day to run that same mile route? Yep. The exact same one. And mainly that was because I just didn't have time. And just the thought of driving somewhere else was so overwhelming to me to like find another place to run. I felt like any decision was going to, you know, I would get decision fatigue. So I'm like keeping everything the same, um, running that same route, running the same distance. And yeah, hurdles were really, I didn't have the right shoes which took me a long time to realize. So I was getting like shin splints. I felt like I should be able to go faster, which was really just a mental thing. Like I didn't understand how that worked. Also not um, seeing people or like being able to relate to anyone that was running slow or that looked like me. So yeah, I just felt like isolated and felt like I wasn't getting anywhere, which now that things I know now, I'm like, well, duh. (laughs) that's that's normal. (laughs) There are so many people listening to this right now, myself included, that can totally sympathize and relate to being in that place, feeling as though maybe they didn't see themselves as someone who quote unquote looked like a runner. So that for an extensive period of time prevented them from lacing up at all. So the lesson, the takeaway in this story, aside from the fact that this provided you with some mental solace was Mm -hmm. that you had the amount of bravery. You were brave enough to just start. And that in itself is such a sticking point for so many people. 
Yeah, I think that's a big thing that I try and push is just that you can't and also like taking the um, seriousness away from it, at least to start, because if you're not going into it, if your why isn't I want to make this time in a marathon or I want to run this mile at this pace, then take the seriousness away because it's not going to be enjoyable. I, I feel like now they see me just going into running to like for mental sanity and just to have fun. It's way more approachable for them. And some people don't need that. Some people are like, hey, I'm fast and I'm going to run fast and I don't really need a happy person where running in a banana to show me to have fun. But I do feel like this huge group out there is being overlooked that could really be brought into the sport by showing like, hey, not everyone's serious. And there's, you know, all these benefits to just running for fun. Yeah. It's unfortunate that there are people who kind of shame those runners that are just in it for how it makes them feel for the Mm -hmm. fun. They're not worried, the runners themselves, about stopping a bunch of times when they're on the move because for them, it's not about how many times they stop. It's simply about getting out there in the first place. So hearing more individuals like yourself that are saying, hey, I run and I'm doing it for how it makes me feel. I'm doing it Mm -hmm. because it makes me feel better. It makes me, it helps me show up better. Those Mm -hmm. stories are so important. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like a lot of people, um, even in this Pittsburgh half marathon that I, I ran the other week, the amount of people that um, came up to me while running and saying this was their first half that they signed up because of me because I showed them that you didn't have to be a certain pace. You didn't have to run a certain pace to sign up for a race. I would like tear up every time because I'm like, this is my literal goal. Like, this is what I'm trying to do. And you guys are, you know, coming up and telling me these things. It's it's so rewarding um, to be able to be that person that I was looking for when I started running. Amen. So do you recall when you think back to that initial 30-day period, how long it took for you to notice a legitimate shift in how you were feeling about your body and emotionally? Um, I really feel like by the end of the 30 days, I remember I posted every single day on YouTube and it took me two years, by the way, to go back and watch some of those. I hate watching my videos. I hate listening to myself talk. So, but I, I was genuinely curious because here I'm trying to get new runners to be comfortable where they're at. And I was that. So I'm like, I'm going to go and just force myself to watch some of them. And I think I saw a shift at like the two week mark or maybe right after the halfway point. So, um, I, that was maybe like 15 or 16 runs in, I started to be like, wow, I think I can complete this month. And I've dealt with so much in this month and still got these runs in. So I started to piece together these little bits of, um, progress Um, To some people, they would be nothing, but to me, they were huge. So I just kind of held on to those. And I'm like, I felt like that's what really propelled me forward. Right. So to get really specific, because to your point, 
helping people see themselves in this story. Mm-hmm. What was the language like in the first two weeks? Oh, the first two weeks. Um, it was very much like I am sick of I, I think I literally used the words. Have you ever been so sick of yourself that you have to do something about it? Like I said that in one of the first videos and I was like, this is my something I'm trying to do. Um, And I'm like, oh, my God, I was really hard on myself. Like I was genuinely at that point of just like a low point. And I'm like, I have to go up from here. Um, So, yeah, I would say things like that. And then toward the end, um, like after that halfway point, it was more like, hey, we're doing it. Or, hey, look at the scenery here. Um, I started to crack jokes. I was like kind of getting my sense of humor back, um, which I didn't have for a while. Um, My creativity was coming back and that all those things I was like, wow, I'm really feeling like myself. And I could see that come out in in those later videos. And obviously now. (laughs) What's really beautiful about this is it paints a holistic picture about not only the benefit of movement, but the benefit of movement coupled with other things that can help us navigate when we are going through hurdles or perhaps in your case, postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. So talking to someone about how you're feeling, moving your body, Mm -hmm. uh, working on that inner self-talk so that it's not all negative, 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 negative. All of it contributes to the greater puzzle of being able to move forward and get away from those feelings of hopelessness, frustration, et cetera. That's such a good point that it's not one thing. Like if I just ran, that wouldn't have to completely change. Like I still had to talk. I still had to talk my feelings out. I still had to, um, you know, get fresh air. I still had to eat a little better, drink enough water, like all those pieces and running. Yeah, absolutely. Was like that final piece that just everything clicked. I think it's also really beautiful when you reflect now looking back on the interactions that you've had and the opportunity that you have come across to help other individuals on their journey when it comes to loving movement, you have chosen, I use that word very specifically and intentionally, Mm -hmm. to highlight the benefits and the good when everyone listening to this knows that there are some negatives, including unsolicited opinions, people weighing in on how they may feel about the way that you look or what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about how you navigate that side of the coin. Yeah, that side I don't put too much energy into because very early on, I felt the energy shift after I read a negative comment and the energy shift after I read a supportive comment. And I didn't need to really think much about it. I was like, I'm not engaging with that. Like, I just kind of mentally check out because it's just not part of my mission and what I'm doing. A supportive comment, absolutely. Because someone else that might not feel comfortable running is going to go to that comment section and read a supportive comment and be like, wow, look at this community. There really, there are people that like what she's doing. Um, So those I absolutely engage with. I will pin them. I reply. But yeah, I have definitely like replied. I've replied to a 
a negative comment via video. And it said, it was probably like, I always say 10 year old boy, but um, just a really immature person who probably doesn't run. Um, I walk faster than, or I can walk faster than that or something like that um, about my mile time, because I'm not shy about showing my watch at the end. Um, and you know, if I walked up a hill, that pace is going to be really slow, but I don't care. I want people to see that that's somebody, a real, real human that is their real pace. (laughs) Um, and so I replied to that video, um, just to show people, I mean, I replied to that comment just to show people like how little it does for anybody in the grand scheme of things. And so I did that once and I left it at that. And to be honest, I really don't get those comments a lot unless um, it's like a, a brand wants to like boost a video. You know what I mean? Like um, like a sponsored post. And the second they boost it, I don't read comments. And it works out beautifully <laughs> because I've already replied to all of my people and we're just vibing in the comment section. <laughs> and then as soon as it's boosted, I'm like, see ya. Never, not even looking at it. <laughs> you have the strategy down. I do. To a T now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so the story goes then after the 30 days, clearly you continued running because it's been about two years now, at least. Mm-hmm. Talk yeah. to us about what the journey has been like since that initial 30 days for you. Since the initial 30 days. So after um, after that is when I started to realize how much I liked filming my runs. I got like a lighter camera. I got a GoPro. Um, I got I started using my phone. And that's when I'm like, I could just post I could just cut this up into quick little clips and put it on TikTok and see what happens. That's when that whole thing um, <laughs> happened. So like when I started running, I had no following of anything because I would like send my videos to my friends or my mom or like, look at this. Um, I had some friends on YouTube that would watch, but really that was the extent of my social media posting. But TikTok really blew it out of the water. And I met the most relatable people on there. I didn't realize that you could grow to where you could do this as a job. Like that was out of the realm of my knowledge, I guess. Like I just assumed someone like me, a average looking mom of three that lives in the middle of nowhere is not going to be like, you know, you look at Casey Neistat. He's a like very interesting person. He lived in New York City. He's a filmmaker. These people have exciting lives that I saw doing this social media thing full time. So I'm like, that is not me. (laughs) That's the last thing that would happen here. Um, But I still kept posting because I'm like, this is very therapeutic and it's creative and kind of just like made me feel good. Then I started getting brands like following me or Team USA followed me. And I'm like, is there a bigger thing going on here (laughs) or is everyone just laughing at me? You know, um, that was a thought I had as well. Um, but yeah, that was a big shift in the (laughs) storyline. When a brand like team USA follows you. And I ask you this because we were just talking about time, not being something that you're conscious of 
Does it make you feel some kind of way when you may be uh, considered or working on certain opportunities where other athletes that they identify as a professional athlete, this is what they do? Mm-hmm. you are in the same sandbox with them because arguably, although yes, you are a content creator, you are also at this point, a professional athlete. I look at a professional athlete as someone who like competes to win <laughs> uh, um, an event, but I, I do, yeah, I do get a little um, worried about that sometimes, but then I also look at it like any athlete can if they care enough can build a an audience arguably it would be a lot easier for them to build an audience because they do amazing things and they could also do what i'm doing i think they have more competition because there's a lot of athletes but there's not a lot of content creators that are just like out there showing their crotch sweat and their shorts riding up their thighs um so i think that's like kind of were maybe getting paid by the same brands, but they're for very different reasons. Yeah. Um, and I look at also, you know, there's athletes like Molly Seidel and um, Emma Coburn. And um, I mainly follow the women just because I don't know. They created a following and they they get brand deals. You know what I mean? So and Emma has a, a cookbook like so I don't feel like I'm taking away Um, from it because anyone can you know build a social following and that's what the brands want they want more eyes on the product so you crossing a finish line first does make like a shoe look really good but how many people are seeing you cross the finish line first versus how many people are seeing you know like a viral video with the you know brand being showcased And how many people see someone crossing the finish line first and can relate to that for themselves? Right. Yeah. I think, I think when you look at, I, I totally, I see it from the brand side of things and it is really, they're finally seeing that untapped market, which is beginner runners. It's the, I would argue bigger than the, um, proficient runners. Like there's, they're, you don't even know that they're, they don't even know they're a runner yet. Let's put it that way. So they're not even in the market at all. They're going to need a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> they're going to need the socks. They're going to need the shoes and the sunglasses, a watch, everything. Whereas these runners that have been running for a while, they already have their stuff and they know what they like. So you can't really sway them into changing a brand or something like that. Whereas this huge market, you can be like, hey, here is this nice shoe. I like it. It's wide. It, you know, it's supportive. Um, so I do feel like, but to, to your, to answer your question, to sum it up, I did have a lot of guilt when I've got my first brand deal, but then I kind of rationalized it like, Oh, okay, wait a second. They can have a social following too. And, um, although the, the fact that professional runners, it's unfair to them that when they get signed, it's not a lot of money. Mm. I feel like that's a way different story than a brand deal, like a brand paying them for a campaign, which is what I do. I'm obviously not getting signed by a <laughs> a company to like, you know, run a race. Um, but that to me is unfair because you do look at, I mean, obviously football p- players have like a huge audience and stuff, but 
these people, this is their life. Like they're running, they're training, their nutrition, everything. And you're going to pay them like $30,000 for a whole year. Yeah. I, so I feel like that, I mean, that's separate from me, but I do feel like I see that <laughs> like, as I'm an issue. I'm put this into the world. This is how <laughs> I feel. We should be paying athletes more. Yes. <laughs> no, and I, please, that's certainly a massive conversation in sport right now, especially yeah. between pay discrepancies, uh, especially when it comes to pay discrepancies between men and women and something mm-hmm. that hopefully we'll see some upward movement within the next few years, for sure. These days, when you reflect on how you're feeling, where your head is at, how your mental state is, how are you doing? I feel very at peace now. I do feel like from September of last year till, well, it's kind of still going, but I'm, I've caught up now, I feel like. But the New York Times article that came out um, that led to like the Today Show stuff and like People Magazine and the, the press whirlwind, which I had zero um, like preparation for or experience in on top of like keeping up with my content and trying to do brand deals and um, pay attention to my family. And <laughs> like that whole whirlwind, I felt like wasn't even real at if you want to really talk about another mental health thing, I don't know what that was, um, but I should probably <laughs> go to therapy um, to talk that out because I was on set at the Today Show sitting with Hoda and Savannah and genuinely didn't know if I was actually sitting there. Like, that's how <laughs> disconnected I was. I was so confused. So confused. And the yeah. uh, New York Times <laughs> article that you reference here, the headline, Mm-hmm. For a TikTok running star, it's all uphill from here. <laughs> I love it. So yes. it seems as though it accurately depicts where maybe <laughs> you felt like you had to go after this dropped. Yes. Yeah. It was, I just didn't, I guess I didn't anticipate it. Because first of all, I thought that the New York Times interview, I thought it would A, not end up in the like New York times at all. And if it did, I thought it was going to be like one of those little things you see on the side, a sidebar. Yeah. The sidebar. And they have like little blurbs. I thought I would have like a little quote in there or something. I did not know it was going to be an entire article. Um, I think she said that, but I was, I just didn't think that that happens. Um, so yeah, it was just very much imposter syndrome, which I still definitely have just not as bad. And not being prepared for, um, pre- I don't know how to, I didn't know how to interview or sit on, um, a set or where the lights are, what camera to look in. People have coaches for that, which I recently learned. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> the media tour is coming your way. Oh my gosh. That was, that was wild. It wild. was wild. Yeah. Wild. Well, I really love everything that you've said here about your journey. And I think also what has been really awesome from, you know, my seat over here in Brooklyn is watching you just get really honest about that. It is something that you love now. It's something that you love to do, but that doesn't mean that you don't have difficult or hard days. So for someone listening to this, that 
is in that initial phases of phases of trying to become a more regular runner, what advice do you have for them? I would definitely say, I know people say, don't compare yourself to others, but I say, don't compare yourself to yourself because that's something that I did at first. I would have like a good run and I was shocked that the next run was like horrible. And I'm like, it would really get me down. I would question myself. I'm like, how did it, you know, that run was great. And now this one's bad and I'm never going to get better. Um, so yeah, like don't even, don't even compare to yourself. And, um, also just trust the process. I felt like my negative self-talk was so harmful when I was training for my first marathon. And then when you physically do it, you're, you're like, oh, my body can do that. So now I'm like, just trust the process. Just get your run and you have a scheduled run. Just do it. You know, get that dopamine. (laughs) (laughs) Get it. Uh, Do you have a favorite piece of running gear? Oh, I really rely on um, music and podcasts. So probably my headphones. I wear Shox headphones. Yeah, I I, because I'm trying to think, what would I turn around for if I forgot it? Great question. And I think it's those. Okay. Yeah. All right. Shocks headphones. Uh, what music are you listening to? I have a go my go-to playlist um, on Spotify. If you're curious, it's Mrs. Space Cadet Runs. And I didn't realize that run- <laughs> runners listen to like um, techno. Whenever I, I go, I would like try and search for running playlists. It was all these like, uh, I don't know. I, I guess it's called techno. I don't really know, but mine is not that. And it's, there's anything from like old school rap to like early two thousands indie music, anything with like an upbeat, thing that gives me energy. That's like my, that's my vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Final question for you, my friend, right now you have an opportunity looking back on your journey, knowing what you know now to offer yourself a piece of advice back on that first day when you were in that low point, when you decided to lace up your sneakers, what do you tell yourself now? I think I would just tell myself it's going to be worth it because that's what I that's that was the big thing about getting started. What is the point of this? Like, is it worth it? Is it worth pushing through when I was just so tired or I didn't want to do it or I just wanted to watch a movie and not think about anything like what is it worth it? You know, is it worth it to buy these shoes? Yeah. So I would I would think that's what I would tell myself. It's worth it. Just keep going. It's worth it. Just keep going. Erin, I'm so grateful for your time and for you sharing your story with us. How do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Uh, give us all the details. Yeah. So, I well, I think the easiest way I've been saying lately is just if you Google Erin Azar because <laughs> my Instagram shows up and my TikTok. Um, but yeah, TikTok is at mrs.space.cadet. And Instagram is at I'm Mrs. Space Cadet. And that's the same on Twitter. And where's the name come from? When I was younger, I lost my lunch money or I was on some like school trip. 
And I told my friend's mom that I lost it. And she was like, oh, my gosh, Aaron, you're such a space cadet, which I don't think people say anymore. But it just means (laughs) you're like really spacey and you don't like pay attention and stuff, which is very true. And as I got older, I'm like, I absolutely am that, unfortunately, and I'll just own it. What do you hope that people walk away from looking at your content with? A renewed sense of fun. I said the other day that PR now stands for party runner. And um, yeah, just like even a serious runner that might be going through a rough patch where they're like not wanting to get out there, they're feeling down just to like be a little uplifted and go out there with like a new mindset. I love that. Aaron Azar, I'm so grateful for your time. I'm over at Hurdle Podcast at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.